He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I am Anthony Irwin. Today, joined by, I think now, officially, we have uh, the latest addition to the friend of the show list. Ricky O'Donnell is here. I think he's your second, I think even third time on uh, this this uh, this pod. Uh, so, congratulations. Um, T-shirts in the mail. It's, 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 it's an the- honor to be a friend of the show. <laughs> I think you only ask me to be on because you know I'm very available, and I never would say no to you. <laughs> So, you know, just keep that in mind for future reference as well. Um, I, I don't know if that's if that is a reflection on on how often I haven't been on your show with Jay. Um, I am very available. So so like, you know, that that phone call calls both ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I we are going to be talking today and Ricky, um, you know, writes a ton for SB Nation on the NBA um, he does incredible draft work, which is usually what you and I would be coming here to talk about. Um, and then because you were just insanely good at your job, it was funny. We were doing the all hands the, the other day for, for um, SB Nation. And they were like, yeah. And then Ricky also has had this role in our NFL coverage, too. And I'm like, makes sense. He's a genius. So, um, yeah, you can find him everywhere all over SB Nation. I'm thrilled to have you here. And I want to start by asking you if I can have Alex Caruso back. Is that is that okay? Is yeah, that- I mean, I guess the asking <laughs> price starts with the 2029 and 2027 <laughs> unprotected first-round picks. But here's yeah. the thing, like, as I think you may be aware of this, the Lakers could have had Alex Caruso. It only would have cost money. <laughs> and the Lakers, uh, I complain a lot about the Bulls being cheap. As someone who's lived his whole life in Chicago and the Lakers, you wouldn't think, would also be so cheap, given that they're the league's premier franchise. But the Lakers are very cheap, and uh, it is it is sort of heartwarming from my perspective, like <laughs> as someone of a Lakers hater, to just yeah. see every time Caruso has a good game or even like does one cool thing on the floor, it's like Bulls fans tweeting about it and Lakers fans tweeting about it simultaneously. <laughs> so, you guys, the Caruso is like that X you just never get over. No, and this is like year, like year two of you guys still being infatuated with Caruso. So I get it. Alex Caruso is awesome. Very happy to have him on my favorite basketball team. And, uh, you know, if the Bulls do decide to trade him, I wonder what Caruso could fetch. Pretty interesting player. Two yeah. more years under contract, $10 million a year. Mm-hmm. If he plays enough minutes, he's basically a, you know, all defense yeah, he's one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. Yeah, there's like, no doubt. Full stop. Uh, currently, he's leading the league in deflections for the Bulls. Makes sense. Uh, he does have pretty long injury history. And I think maybe under the radar a little bit this year, there's been like they haven't really put it on the official injury report, but there's been some rumors that he has a hand or a thumb injury or something. Of course, last mm-hmm. year he missed the a lot of time with a wrist injury on a dirty play by Grayson Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Alex Caruso has really had a hard time dribbling this year among mm-hmm. the NBA's leaders in turnover rate. And 
not the type of leader you want to be. I mean, the guys with the highest turnover percentage in the NBA. He's the only yeah. guard in the top five. I think like he has like a 10% usage rate and like a 23% turnover rate. And this year That's he has wild. had a lot of turnovers. The other guard in the top 10 is Russell Westbrook. It doesn't surprise you too much, but Caruso's turnover yeah. rate is even higher than Westbrook's. Uh, so this has been a little bit of a mixed bag year for Caruso. He's been superhuman once again defensively. And really, like the Bulls right now are number seven in defensive efficiency. That's shocking because the mm -hmm. Bulls do not have good defensive personnel. Yeah. And they don't have Lonzo Ball, who's their other elite defensive player. And when him and Caruso were together, the team passed the eye test defensively. This year, yeah. they don't pass the eye test defensively. But Caruso is such a complete maniac, and they get some contributions from guys like Javante Green, guys like Derek Jones Jr. at the end of the roster that the defense has been competitive. So Caruso, I mean, just one of the highest approval ratings for any athlete you'll ever see. I think the thing is, is fans, like, fans hate a player who doesn't get the most out of their physical abilities. Yeah. Uh Ben Simmons would be a peak example of this as a guy who's mm -hmm. like, you know, 6'10, 235 pounds or whatever, super fast, can dribble, can pass. But he just leaves you wanting so much more given his yeah. athletic tools. Caruso is like the opposite end of the spectrum there, where Caruso does have pretty decent tools. I mean, he's 6'4, so pretty good size for a guard. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's super strong for a guard. Uh, and like a lot of the little things that he's so good at really just just like can't can't be taught or like are very difficult to identify uh, mm -hmm. players coming into the league but he just like maximizes every ounce of talent in his body and it's just so fun to root for a guy like that yeah i mean it, there's I, I could go on and on and on and on about like why it was such a bummer to see what happened at the end of caruso's tenure here with the lakers it was just like you just started him in a finals game like the year prior and, and you're just letting this guy walk for nothing. And, and then he goes and then immediately the bulls defense turns around in part because of what Caruso brought to the table. And then also because of Lonzo. And we're going to talk about Lonzo here in a second. You wrote something for SB nation um, about Lonzo and, and how his injury has really kind of derailed what was an exciting up and coming bulls franchise. You know, that they, they, it, it was, it felt like it made, some real strides forward last year and, and, you know, you lose a key piece like Lonzo and you lose him in a way that, you know, there's this shroud of, of unease as far as like whether he's ever going to be the same, you know, that there were quotes before the season that he was just then able to walk up and down stairs which was, was bananas to me. Like everything that I heard about Lonzo ball just got sadder and sadder and sadder and it really sucks because he's a really fun player. Caruso clearly is somebody who, who I really liked as a player. DeMar DeRozan was this really cool story from, from the year prior when, when, you know, early on in the year, there was some, yeah, you know, really, really early on, there was some MVP buzz and, and yeah, like things were really kind of going And And the reason I wanted to talk to you about is like how, how we arrived so quickly at, now where there's so much conversation about blowing it up like it's just crazy to 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 think that they were there they were where they were last year and then now they're at this place where i don't know if this is popular in chicago that take is popular in chicago but i know the national conversation about them has mostly been around 
all right, is it time to turn the page on this latest chance at uh, relevancy? And and so yeah, like w- w- from where you're sitting is is blowing it up the 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 logical next step, or or would you still wait a little bit longer to see if Lonzo can get healthy? Yeah, the national media hates nothing more than an average team. In the Bulls, even <laughs> yeah. though they're eleven and fifteen, they're very average. I pulled the mm-hmm. stat yesterday. <laughs> the Bulls have scored two thousand nine hundred and forty six points on the season. The Bulls okay. have allowed 2,945 points on the season. They've scored <laughs> one more point than they've allowed. They're 11 and 15. Yeah. And I pulled this stat yesterday after the Bulls lost on a totally ridiculous game where they're up by one with 0.5 seconds left in the Atlanta Hawks throwing inbounds alley-oop to A.J. Griffin, who scores A.J. Griffin's second alley-oop buzzer beater of the year. Uh, Atlanta wins just like a totally shocking way to lose a game yeah and the Bulls have spent this entire year inventing new ways to lose like they lost a game to the magic <laughs> where they were up like I think five with 20 seconds left and they lost mm-hmm. uh it's just been crazy how many different ways they've found a way to blow games one of the big stories of last season was how good they were in clutch games. I believe just by net rating, they were the third best team in clutch situations. Yeah. Uh, DeRozan's play was the main reason for that. DeRozan had two game-winning buzzer beaters where I think they were losing in both situations, and he hit a mm. shot to give him the, give him the game. Uh, and then just generally, you know, clutch is defined by a game within five points with five minutes left. and. Mm-hmm. Bulls were just phenomenal in those situations because of DeRose, DeRozan's able to hit shots the opposing defense wants to concede. And DeRozan never turns the ball over, or he rarely does, uh, in high-leverage situations. So mm-hmm. they were really good in those situations last year. This year, DeRozan's numbers are pretty similar. Like, no one yeah. really wants to say it, but his stats are almost exactly in line with last season when he was second-team All-NBA. And when, like you said, he was getting a lot of MVP buzz before the team collapsed in March without Lonzo. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of a lot of ways to go to this. I do think that like, should the Bulls blow it up? It's such a loaded question, man. Mm-hmm. First of all, they just built this team. This that's team's the thing. <laughs> year one point five. That's like well, that's how. Though. That's why I'm so shocked to to hear any of that. Like the this no like. If we're giving if we're giving franchises less than two years to find their footing in the middle of the, a rebuild, like, what are we doing? Like how do how do we expect fans to keep up with that cycle moving at that pace? That just seems unfathomable. It's the kind of thing that you would say, you know, if 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 everything that every decision like that is made in vacuums where fans don't matter, but if we care at all about you know, the entertainment aspect of this and, and fans staying invested in teams, we have to give them more time than a year and a half. (laughs) That seems crazy to me. Yeah. So just like my big picture take on this is there's a 0% chance the Bulls are going to tank. I would be shocked if they tank. Maybe if it gets really bad in December, but up until like last week, the Bulls had played the hardest schedule in the NBA. They had taken this long West Coast road trip. Uh, The schedule was just a murderer's row. And they were still like playing teams even pretty much night in, night out. But they were just Mm -hmm. losing every close game. Their record in close games is like three and ten or something right now off the top Mm -hmm. of my head. It would be hard to, you know, if they were like 
two or three wins better than that, it would still be an unlucky record. Yeah. Uh, so they, they're just like finding ways to lose these close games. I don't think they're going to tank because while the media hates an average team, you know who <laughs> loves an average team? Bulls ownership. Bulls yes. ownership does not care about winning a championship. Yeah. Uh, they have two goals for the team. They want them to make the playoffs and they want to stay out of the luxury tax. And if they can do those two things, my main man, Jerry Reinsdorf, who has ruined two of the three teams I root for, the Chicago White Sox and Major League Baseball and the Bulls, uh, he's thrilled. So while like me and you look at a team sort of through the lens of championship equity, how does this team win the championship? What's their path like to compete for a title? Because as fans, we're in it for championships, I think. Yeah. The Bulls are not in it for championships, though. And it's sad because they're one of the premier franchises in the league, or they should be. Mm -hmm. They certainly have an international fan base, and they make millions and millions and millions of dollars off merchandise and ticket sales and all that. Uh, but the Bulls were, not too long ago, a true civic embarrassment to Chicago. You would never see anyone in Chicago wearing a Bulls hat or T-shirt during the Jim Boylan era. And when they had Boylan... Uh, in the wake of the Jimmy Butler trade from 2017 that really sort of like set the course that the franchise is on now traded mm -hmm. Butler in the prime of his career, two years left under contracts. They didn't want to pay him his next contract. You got Zach Levine back. You got Lowry marketing back. You got Chris Dunn back. Uh, and they were the worst team in the league for four seasons. If you took every team in the league's record over those four seasons, they were the worst, but they picked seven, three times. They picked fourth once. And those are some painful years, man. I mean, basically, you just wanted to sim to the lottery yep. every year for four years, and they never got lottery luck. So it's like, what is the point of doing this? So when they like did this makeover, I don't think they thought they were going to win the championship, right? I think the idea was, let's get back in the playoffs. Let's stay out of the luxury tax. And ideally, in a perfect case scenario, maybe they can attract a free agent. You know, when the NBA went to the All-Star break last year, which was 71% of the way through the season, you think it's 50%, but last year it was 71% of the way through the season. The Bulls were tied atop the Eastern Conference with the Miami mm -hmm. Heat for the best record. After that, totally collapsed in March. In this offseason, when Kevin Durant requested a trade, his two teams were the Heat and the Suns, who both finished atop the Eastern and Western Conference. I wonder if the Bulls could have stayed there like – is Durant maybe requesting a trade to the Bulls? And was that the Bulls sort of big picture plan all along that they would build a team that would be solid, appealing mm -hmm. maybe to a star, and then perhaps a star chooses them and it helps them take the next step. Um, ultimately, I think the team made sense with Lonzo and it doesn't make sense without him. Yeah. Because while Lonzo was the fourth best player on the team, he just filled every crack the team had and the team yep. has no way to replace what he's good at. Uh, so offensively, like the big thing that anyone could notice about the bulls right now is they do not shoot threes at all. They're dead last in the league in three point attempts. They're mm -hmm. like 28th in three point makes their percentage is like middle of the league, but they just don't attempt any shots. They are often, getting they're often allowing 20 more three-point attempts than they attempt in any given game yeah. it's yeah. like how are you going to win a game when the other team's taking 20 more threes even if their percentage isn't great you're just losing the game based on math mm -hmm. you know pretty much every time 
So Lonzo was a great shooter. Last year, nobody who took as many attempts as Lonzo made as high of a percentage. He made over 42% of his threes. He was taking like between seven and eight a game. Uh, just having one more knockdown shooter on the floor was huge for the team. And then defensively, it's like when you have Caruso and Lonzo, that's kind of how you can cover up for a team built around three offense first stars in Vooch, yep. DeRozan, and Levine. Uh, and Lonzo was also able to unlock their transition offense. They were so quickly able to turn defense into offense because Lonzo had the, ahead, passes. Of, had the spirit of Chino Hills High School pumping through him, just throwing outlet pass after outlet it's, pass. It's so, so much fun to watch. Now. That's gone now, too. So... Uh, should the Bulls blow it up? No. Why does the ringer want the Bulls to blow it up? It's because, first of all, the Bulls are going to push the Celtics to seven games in the 1-8 matchup. So mm-hmm. that's going to happen now. <laughs> probably not. The Bulls probably won't even make the playoffs. But the Bulls are 2-1 and one against the Celtics this year, and they almost did get them on that third one. Yeah. Uh, mostly, I think the Bulls have a lot of decent players that other teams want. The Everyone looks at the Bulls, and they think there's this team has no path towards a championship. Which is but if that doesn't matter, definitely true. It yeah. doesn't matter to ownership. I think ownership right. just wants to be solid. Uh, now, if this thing totally goes off the rails over the next month, maybe they'll think about trading DeRozan. Certainly, it would make sense to trade DeRozan at his high point of his value. If you get two first round picks for DeRozan, I mean, I think you got to seriously consider that. Yeah. Uh, and then at that point, I mean, Vooch is an expiring contract, so trade Vooch. And then Levine, Levine's tough because he just signed this huge deal. Five years, $215 million. People are already getting very up in arms about that looking like a bad contract. I'm going to push back a little bit, even though it does look like a bad contract. But, like, these contracts around the whole league are about to explode. Yeah. Levine's 27 years old, so he should be in his prime. The problem is his body's starting to break down. And he was always someone who relied on his physicality to be a great player. Uh, Obviously, the reason Zach Levine was worth a max contract in the first place is because he's very good at getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. And he's very good at shooting three-pointers at high volume. You know, he's never been a great passer, never obviously been a great defensive player. His vision, always a little shaky. He's never been particularly strong with the ball in terms of, uh, you know, avoiding turnovers. But now he can't get to and finish at the rim as efficiently. His three-point percentage has dropped, and he just doesn't look like the same guy anymore. Mm-hmm. So do you sell Levine? I mean, if you could get a couple first-round picks for Levine, maybe you do that too. But uh, I think all of this sounds better to a blogger than it does to Bulls ownership. So I would be very, very surprised if the Bulls did tank. Uh, with that being said, is this team going anywhere? No. They're not going anywhere. And that's why when I wrote the Lonzo Ball piece this week at SBNation.com, you can read it. It's called Lonzo Ball is Broken and the Bulls Are Too. I said the Bulls are stuck at a fork in the road with two dead ends because keeping this thing together, I don't think it's really going to materialize much. You know, maybe they can win 43 games, lose in the first round. You get Lonzo back next year, see what you got next year. You got to figure out what to do with Vooch because he's a free agent. So maybe that's appealing. Uh, they could also, you know, miss the playoffs and not win 43 games. They could win 36 and then, you know, you lose out on your draft pick because that's traded to the Orlando Magic top four protected for Nikola Vucevic. I guess the other path would be to blow it up, get assets, 
Hopefully you maximize, you know, your draft pick top four protected. But even if they're the worst team in the league this year, dude, they still have a 49% chance of losing their draft pick because that's how the flattened odds work now. So to me, if they blow it up, they're losing their pick anyway. Like, I think the pick is just gone. In fact, you might have a better chance keeping the pick, not blowing it up, just because, you know, there was ever a year to rig the lottery. This is it. And the NBA would certainly want to incentivize teams that didn't outwardly tank, that, like, tried to win and just got unlucky with an injury the way the Bulls did. Got unlucky in closed games the way the Bulls did. Uh (laughs) But really, are you like, talking like, yourself into Victor Wembanyama right now? Like, is that it? Am I listening to this? <laughs> hey, I'm just saying my team actually has a chance at him, and your team doesn't. At least my pick's top four protected. I'm like, yeah. Fair. Fair. But uh, I guess my last point on this is uh, both paths suck. The Bulls are just kind of screwed. Yeah. Because if they like do these trades, like hypothetically trade DeRose into the Lakers for 27 and 29 draft picks, who knows if that's even on the table? But let's say they did it. Mm-hmm. it's like, when are they building a good team again? It's almost like they're punting the 2020s if they do that trade. And then in 2027 and 2029, if you keep those picks, you're going to draft a 19-year-old who's going to be bad for his first three years, just like Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen and Kobe White and Patrick Williams. Yeah. And then it's like, like when would they possibly build a decent team? So I think both paths are bad. I do not anticipate them to tank and blow it up. But... You can certainly make a compelling argument they should do it. I would just be very surprised if they pulled the trigger because tanking, I mean, the Bulls just did it. It sucked. It was very hard. Yeah. No promise that it's going to yield a future superstar. So it's a bad situation there, and to say the least. Yeah, the tanking, the the notion of tanking is the kind of thing that, again, gets thrown out there without ever really thinking about the fans who have to watch all 82 of those games. Like, you don't, when a team decides to tank, those fans still have to sit there for on 82 nights and watch, you know, now you will see the occasional player show out and, and they're like, I, I, there are some like fond memories of those Lakers teams who were tanking. There were some funny moments of, of that little run or whatever, but for the most part, it was miserable. It was, it was, it was just, it was, it was a shit experience. And it was so bad that Jeannie like took the team from her brother. Right. And, uh, I, I just, you know, this this idea of, yeah, just blow it up when I agree clearly that that neither of these outcomes are particularly bright. But I don't know. I would I would me personally, I would I would try to stick with it. I would see if Lonzo can ever get healthy again and see if he helps kind of fix Zach Levine and give it one more go. But um, but like you said, Vooch is expiring and, and those, those expiring contracts do hold value. And if the Lakers are willing to offer up the 20, 27 and 29 picks for DeRozan, or I don't, I don't even think it would get them Levine. But um, if that is something that the Lakers would inter- be interested in doing, and, and from what little I know, it sounds like it, it might be. The Lakers have been I, I've told you this before the season that that the Bulls were a team that the Lakers were kind of watching closely. Um and and lo and behold, like we're, we're kind of seeing some of it come to fruition. But like does 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 Bulls ownership want to just skate by or not skate by, but just just pass up on on what was an exciting core for a little bit, um only a year and a half in. Really quick though, before we move on to like some league wide thoughts, when we talk about the twenty seven and twenty nine picks, 
do you have any idea on like who that who that would be like do you chart the eighth graders who could potentially be the 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 pick the lakers could take in 2027 or or the pick that the lakers would be passing up in 2029 are you that far ahead so there's eighth grade rankings for sure 100%. <laughs> i don't follow those yeah but one thing i will say in terms of the tanking conversation around the bulls is that like you know you'd be doing it in large part to boost you know the value of your 2024 pick which they actually own yeah unlike their 2023 pick 2024 draft gonna throw it out there right now doesn't look good at all like i've been yeah. following the draft for 10 years at this point in the cycle there's usually a number one player 2024 there's no number one player like you want to pick in 2023 towards the top of the draft because this draft looks pretty damn good i'd say right 2024 and even 2025 those draft classes seem very unresolved in terms of the top end talent. Obviously, there's so much time left for this to play out. You only need one or two guys to break out, and suddenly it looks like a strong class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, if you had asked me right now who's the top pick in the 2024 draft, uh, I think if you asked 10 people, you would get eight different answers. So another thing <laughs> to keep an eye on. I don't know about That's 2027, crazy. though. Don't ask me about 2027. <laughs> It just dawned on me while you were talking about 27 and 29. It's like, actually, if there's somebody to ask about it, because I keep making eighth grader jokes on Twitter, like this notion that like the Lakers are holding out uh, on on improving a team with a near 40-year-old LeBron because some eighth grader just learned like algebra. Like it's just, it's just insane to me. Um, all right, I'm going to segue awkwardly to some kind of league-wide stuff because you do pay a lot of attention to to the rest of the league in your role here with SB Nation. And um, I I find it really fascinating that we have arrived at this place, somewhat quietly too, by the way, that uh, there's a lot of mediocrity, a lot of parody here in the NBA. And, you know, it's something that I think the league has been pursuing for quite some time. But I don't necessarily think that that is the healthiest version of the NBA. I... You know, the NFL, it works for the NFL because fantasy football is this monster and fans will tune in to games that don't involve their teams, right? Somebody will just sit there on a Sunday afternoon and if it's like Titans, Texans, you'll somebody has one of those, you know, maybe a running back there or a quarter, something is going on there and you'll just kind of have that on in the background that isn't really the way that NBA fans watch the NBA. Like they, they, it's really rare that a Lakers fan will tune into a Suns Bucks game, you know, based on viewership numbers. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious if, if you agree with the direction that the lead, that, that we've arrived in here where there is as much parody, um, or if you think that there might actually be like a, a buzzsaw out there waiting to be, to, to be crowned, maybe it's Boston, maybe it's Milwaukee, whoever. Um, and if you think this is actually the the right direction for the league to have been guided in. Yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of this comes back to just like how punitive the luxury tax is. And of course mm-hmm. with the warriors and the Clippers putting together these historically high luxury tax bills this season and last season, I think like the NBA has been sort of freaking out about that, viewing it as like a huge problem. Yeah. I don't think it is. I'm sort of with you. The juggernaut teams are better for the league. I think historically TV ratings show that, that like when Mm -hmm. there's a team like the Kevin Durant Warriors or the LeBron era Heat, 
or your bulls like in the 90s like that that's about as healthy as the league ever was when michael was out there and either you rooted against michael because he was a destroyer of worlds or you rooted for michael because holy crap we're watching the greatest ever (laughs) right so you know the league though has always cared more i think about boosting the small markets than like maximizing the big markets yeah uh you know, the league wants 30 healthy teams and 30 invested fan bases. Uh, so I think they've gotten it this year, and we were chatting a little bit about this off air, but I think it's very similar to what's happening in the NFL, where when you look at the Western Conference right now, you know, you got the Pelicans and the Grizzlies on top, then it's the Nuggets, the Suns, the Kings, the Trailblazers. It's like pretty wild in terms of where we thought uh, a lot of these teams would be in the preseason projection meanwhile the east is basically exactly how you thought it would be it's the celtics mm-hmm. and the bucks i was very bullish on the Cavs. i wrote a column before the year that the Cavs were championship contenders after the donovan mitchell trade a lot of people thought that was crazy and maybe it was crazy but <laughs> i mean Cavs number three seed right now in the east they look really yeah. good i think they're only going to be better the next couple of years i wrote that in the column too they're yeah. a championship contender now and in the future and they should only get better uh, so I think the East looks pretty much exactly how you expected it to look. Besides for, you know, Philly struggling a bit. They're five in the East right now. And then you got Miami, obviously, who's uh, way underwhelming their preseason projections. But, man, thinking about it, like, who do you have coming out of the West this year? Like, it's what so wide it? open. I sort of think that that's dope, sort of. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you could really talk yourself into, like, six or maybe even seven different teams coming out of the West this year, which like we've never been able to say that before. Yeah. So it is such a change of pace from what the league usually is that as a diehard fan, I think that's really interesting. Now, will that suck in national audiences that typically just want, you know, the top line star power, or like you said, the idea of just like hating a super team Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how the ratings for the league are going to be this year in the playoffs. But I do think that if you're a diehard, it's pretty cool that entering the postseason this year, like you could talk yourself into any number of different teams coming out of the West. Yeah, I guess my concern is that I don't know if the NBA knows how to sell that kind of product. Like, I agree with you. It is really cool that on any given night, I, I watch like Memphis and I'm like, yeah, I could see them coming out. And then another night I'll watch, uh, shoot, at the beginning of the year, I was watching Utah. I was like, holy crap, you know, like it, it, it doesn't like on any given night, I could be watching the Warriors. I could be watching the Suns. I could be watching the Nuggets. And, and if you just kind of squint just right, you could see any of those teams kind of figuring it out. And, the NBA fan in me who does watch that much basketball uh, thinks that's great. I just also know that you and I are outliers in the way that we watch the league. You know, we, we will watch on any random night magic heat or something like that because, Hey, Paolo Bancaro looks like he's going to be really effing good. And I want to watch bowl, baby. <laughs> yeah, bowl, watch bowl, bowl, bowl. Exactly. Like the, 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 the beat, the, the uh, Bolando magic is just like, it, it's, it's just like this wild experience and, you know, it'd be great. I, I would love it if, if we could get to a point where people on, you know, any random night will actually tune into that game. And if ESPN 
was interested in putting more than like five teams, some combination of five teams on their national telecast. But I just don't know if they're equipped to actually sell that. And, and um, maybe it is a process. And I, I, you know, it, that's not the kind of thing that you would arrive at overnight. And I do think they're trying out some new stuff that might eventually get us to a place where more fans would be generally interested in the league at large. Um, one of them is uh, the like the NFL or the NBA red zone that they're doing on, on NBA TV. That's kind of a fascinating project. But for right now, yeah, I, I, I'm really curious how these ratings will play out when there isn't some, you know, buzzsaw that everybody knows you either have to try to avoid in the playoffs or try to not lose too embarrassingly if you if you have to face off against them. And, and yeah, we'll, I guess we'll just kind of have to uh, wait and see what, what that would actually look like. Um, last thing before we get you out of here, you know, we, 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 I always like to talk to you about the draft and, and, and about how things are looking in, in, in that regard. Uh, obviously, Victor Wembanyama is, is this insanely talented, you know, once-in-a-lifetime type of player. Um, Scoot Henderson also looks really good. Um, and, and there are players, you know, I would say I, there are five players I think you could probably name off that if you were in that top five area, uh, your team would feel pretty good about drafting there. Obviously, you're bummed because you didn't get Wembenyama if you're picking five, but but there are players that you can still build around, I think, at, that far down the draft. Uh, how how much is it going to hurt to have to swap picks with the Pelicans? Like, how, how prepared should I be? What type of liquor should I have on hand for whenever that happens? Like, is, is this something that, that is going to haunt me for years? So, you know, the Lakers and the Bulls are both 11 and 15. Mm-hmm. Very possible neither team makes the play-in tournament. <laughs> I think they both probably will make the play-in tournament. Yeah. Maybe I'm being a little too optimistic here. Like, we're getting jacked up about the 10th seed in our respective conferences. But, you know, very possible both teams miss it. I'm going to do one spin here on the Tankathon Sim Lottery, and we're going to see right. how bad we should be. Oh my God, Anthony! I got the Pelicans jumping up to the number one pick, eight spots. I'm not even joking. I wish I could share my screen with you. Uh, so in that case, I think you would feel really bad. Yeah, you'd feel really yeah, bad. I'd probably say so. Yeah, you'd feel bad. Uh, I would immediately start hating him. I would find any hole whatsoever that I could that I could pick at, and just say like, you know what? Because that's all I can do. I mean, I, like I. I would I look the people I would hate more are the people who put the Lakers here in the first place like that's don't get me wrong <laughs> I'd be sitting here just screaming Rob Palenka's name in agony um, but but yeah I'd find some way to cope and 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 make best out of the situation but yeah losing Wimbenyama would would hurt like do you do you think do you think some because I do hear a lot of hyperbole about the guy and there is a lot of like, well, is he actually better than LeBron was as a prospect? Are you willing to go that far on him? I think that if you were to put them both in the same draft class, knowing what you knew about both players, it would be very hard to pass on the guy who's seven five and rips three pointers. Like he's yeah. bigger. He's a better shooter. So, yeah. I mean, that's like kind of a lot of that's what insane. basketball is, you know, he's significantly yeah. better as a shooter and he's significantly bigger. Yeah. With that being That's said, wild. like LeBron was so destined for greatness from an early age. And, you know, Le- 
as we record this later in the night, LeBron's sons are playing against Carmelo Anthony's son. And I remember watching LeBron play Carmelo. And I believe Mm -hmm. it was 2002. Uh, might have been 2001 because I think LeBron was maybe a junior in that game and Carmelo was a senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm old, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just yeah. feel I remember LeBron's senior year, he came out and played against Modern Day at uh Cal State Long Beach, and I remember going to that game. and I had a buddy who was playing for, for Modern Day, um, he was their point guard on that team, Mike Garrity, who I think heads player development for the Cavs now um he I I, he Michael was the best basketball player I had ever played against you know we went to the same middle school he he obviously went to a different high school but we grew up playing together and I was like yeah Michael is the best basketball player I'll likely ever really know and to see him go up against LeBron and look like a JV player up against you know, a college athlete, <laughs> essentially. I was like, yeah, all right. This, some some of these guys just play the game at a different level, and that's why it's that's why it's so hard to dawn on me that somebody could actually compare favorably as a prospect to LeBron, having seen LeBron up close in that way. It was just it's it's obscene how good this <laughs> Wemby might be. It's it's the, wild. The thing is, though, like no one can really live up to those expectations. I mean, LeBron did, and that's perhaps the most remarkable thing about LeBron is we put yeah. him on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school junior and said, this is the next superstar. By the way, Sports Illustrated also did that with Jabari Parker and yeah. Amoni Bates and a lot of guys after that. Where O.J. Mayo. O.J. Mayo. <laughs> it didn't look so prescient afterwards. But yeah, yeah, I think Wembenyama, it's like he is one of the most tantal. I mean, he's probably the most tantalizing prospect in the history of basketball. His comparison is like Otani to me, where it's mm. like, how does this guy even exist? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds cool that one day there'll be a pitcher who can, you know, strike out 200 guys and hit 45 homers. But like, that's never going to happen. But then like <laughs> it did happen with Otani. And it feels yeah. the same with Wembenyama. Like, what if we had a 7-5 guy who could be a 45% three-point shooter? I don't think Wemby's numbers are quite that good, but like, he's a really good shooter. He has yeah. high, high it shooting. It looks clean. So... It's almost like he's being set up to fail. Obviously, health is going to be the big thing. And he already has a long injury history. I did a post on that on SBNation.com because people have just been interested in, like, what is his injury history? Also, a prediction. People are going to hate Wembenyama. I'm just throwing that out there. People hate Rudy <laughs> Gobert. Yeah. And with Wembenyama, they're just like, it's cool at this stage of his career. But, like, imagine when he, like, beats Team USA the first time in the Olympics <laughs> or something. Like, people are going to hate Wembenyama. So that's – he's going to be a peak villain – which you know, is good. NBA thrives off its villain era. I was going to say, NBA like we just we villain. just had the whole conversation we had. Like that's good. But we need him on the Knicks or the Lakers, and the Lakers already ruined their chance at that one by trading <laughs> the pick away. So, what can you do? But does Wembenyama live up to the hype? I think he does. Absolutely. Does that mean that he is going to have the biggest impact on winning of any player in the history of basketball? Of course not. Like he can be phenomenally talented and still like never win a championship. Like. It's a team game at the end of the day, especially in this era of the league where it really feels like you're only as strong as your weakest link in, in a lot of cases in the playoffs. But uh, Wembenyama rocks. I think he absolutely lives up to the hype. But, you know, when you're talking about him in such hushed tones, it's almost like there's there's such a high likelihood he's going to fail just because the expectations are so high. 
Yeah, that's what I'm going to keep telling myself. All right, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of the Anthony Irwin Show. Thank you very much, Ricky. Uh, anything that you want to plug on our way out of here? You can find all my work at SBNation.com. We're doing a lot of good stuff over there, so check it out. Absolutely. Again, that's Ricky O'Donnell. He wrote the the, the piece for SBNation.com about Lonzo Ball's injury. Really hope he gets healthy. I really love his I, – I thought, I thought coming out of college he was like the perfect – like three and D guard, you know, like a, a three and D wing, you could have at point guard who would play next to a, an elite wing. And I thought, especially when he, when LeBron signed with the Lakers and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is the perfect point guard to play next to LeBron. And this could actually really work out. And obviously he gets turned into Anthony Davis and all of that stuff. But I, I'm really hope, ho- holding out hope that, that Lonzo gets healthy and, and we get to see how his career plays out in that regard. But um, yeah, thank you very much, Ricky. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, make sure you guys check out the Taco Tuesday guys who are coming on tomorrow. And then also check out the Can You Dig It guys who recorded their episode yesterday. And until I talk to you guys next, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.